Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Season two is A Practical Treatise of Fear by John Flavel. Rule five. If ever you will get rid of your fears and distractions, get your affections mortified to the world and to the inordinate and immoderate love of every enjoyment in the world. The more you are mortified, the less you will be terrified. It is not the dead, but the living world that puts our hearts into such fears and tremblings. If our hearts were once crucified, they would soon be quieted. It is the strength of our affections that puts so much strength into our afflictions. It was not, therefore, without great reason that the Apostle compares the life of a Christian to the life of a soldier, who, if he mean to follow the camp and acquit himself bravely in fight, must not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. 2 Timothy 2.4 Sure, there is no following Christ's camp, but with a disentangled heart from the world. 4. Proportionable to the heat of our love will be the strength and height of our fears about those things. More particularly, if ever you will rid yourselves of your uncomfortable and uncomely fears, Use all God's means to mortify your affections to the exorbitant esteem and love of number one, your estates, number two, your liberty, number three, your lives. Number one, get mortified and cooled hearts to your possessions and estates in the world. The poorest age afforded the richest Christians and noblest martyrs. Ships deepest laden are not best for encounters. The believing Hebrews took joyfully the spoiling of their goods, knowing in themselves that they had in heaven a better and enduring substance. Hebrews 10.34 They carried it rather like unconcerned spectators than the true proprietors. They rejoiced when rude soldiers carried out their goods, as if so many friends had been bringing them in. And whence was this, but from an heart fixed upon heaven, and mortified to things upon earth? Doubtless they esteemed and valued their estates as the good providences of God for their more comfortable accommodation in this world. But it seems they did, and oh, that we could look upon them as mercies of the lowest and meanest rank and nature. The substance laid up in heaven was a better substance, and as long as that was safe, the loss of this did not afflict them. They could bless God for these things, which for a little time did minister refreshment to them. But they knew them to be transitory enjoyments, things that would make to themselves wings and flee away, if their enemies had not touched them. But the substance laid up for them in heaven, that was an enduring substance. So far as those earthly things might further them towards heavenly things, 
So far they prized and valued them, but if Satan would turn them into snares and temptations to deprive them of their better substance in heaven, they could easily slight them and take the spoiling of them joyfully. In a stress of weather, when the ship is ready to sink and founder in a storm, all hands are readily employed to throw the richest goods overboard. No man saith, it is a pity to cast them away, but reason dictates to a man in that case, better these perish than I perish with and for them. These be the wares that some will not cast overboard, and therefore they are said to drown men in perdition, First Timothy 6, nine. Demas would rather perish than part with these things, Second Timothy 4.10. But reader, consider seriously what comforts they can yield thee when thou must look upon them as the price for which thou hast sold heaven and all the hopes of glory, even as much as the price of blood yielded Judas. And so they will ensnare thee if thy unmortified heart be overheated with the love of them, as his was. Number two, be mortified to your liberty, and take heed of placing too great an esteem upon it, or necessity in it. Liberty is a desirable thing to the very birds in the air. Accommodate them the best you can in your cages, feed them with the richest fare, they had rather be cold and hungry with their liberty in the woods than fat and warm in your houses. But yet, as sweet as it is, there may be more comfort and sweetness in parting with it than in keeping it, as the case may stand. The doors of a prison may lock you in, but they cannot lock the comforter out. Paul and Silas lost their liberty for Christ but not their comfort with it. They were never so truly at liberty as when their feet were made fast in the stocks. They never fared so deliciously as when they fed upon prisoners' fare. God spread a table for them in the prison, sent them in a rich feast, yea, and they had music at their feast too, and that at midnight. Acts sixteen twenty-five. Patmos was a barren island, and a place designed for banished persons. It lay in the Aegean Sea, not far from the coast of the Lesser, lesser Asia. It was inhabited by none because of the exceeding barrenness of it, but such who were appointed to it for their punishment, so that here John could meet with no more earthly refreshment than what the barren rocks or wild and desperate persons condemned to live upon it could afford. Ay, but there, there it was, that Christ appeared to him in inexpressible glory. There it was that he had those ravishing visions and saw the whole scheme of providence in the government of this world. There he saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. This made a Patmos become a paradise, Never did any place afford him such comfort as this did. So that Christians may not think there is so strict and necessary a connection betwixt liberty and comfort, that he that takes away the first must needs deprive them of the other. Again, suppose 
we should be so fond of our liberty as to exchange truth and a good conscience for it. Cannot God so embitter it to you, yea, hath he not so embittered it to many, that they were quickly weary of it and glad of an opportunity to change it for a prison? Our own martyrology furnishes us with many sad examples of it. Oh, what will you do with your bitter, dear-bought liberty when your peace is taken away from the inward man? When God shall clap up your souls in prison and put your consciences into his bonds and fetters, then will you say, as the martyr did, I am in prison till I be in prison. Number three, be mortified to the inordinate and fond love of life as ever you expect relief against the fears of death. Reason thyself into a lower value of thy life. Methinks you have arguments enough to cure your fondness in this point. Have you found it such a pleasant life to you for so much of it as is past you know how the Apostle represents it, 2 Corinthians 5, 4. We that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. And is a burdened and a groaning life so desirable? You know also, as he speaks in the next verse, that whilst you are at home in the body, you are absent from the Lord. And is a state of absence from Jesus Christ so desirable to a soul that loves him? Can you find much pleasure so far from home? You may fancy what you will, but upon serious recollection, you will never be out of the reach of Satan's temptations. Never freed from your own indwelling corruptions. These conflicts cannot have an end till life be ended. You also stand convinced that till you be dead, your souls cannot be satisfied, nor your desires be at rest have what comfort soever from God in the way of faith and course of duties, your hearts are still off the center and will still gravitate and grasp heavenward. You also know that die you must, and the time of your departure is at hand, and of all deaths, if you might have your choice, none is more honorable to God or like to be so evidential and comfortable to you as a violent death for Christ, Therein you come to him by consent and choice, not by necessity and constraint. Therein you give a public testimony for Christ, which is the highest use that ever our blood can be put to or honored by. And for the pain and torment, as the martyr said, he that takes away from my torment takes away from my reward. But even in that point, God can make it easier to you than a natural death would be. He will be with you in your extremity and administer such reviving cordials as other men must not look to taste, at least not ordinarily, they being prepared and reserved for such against such an hour. Oh, then work out the inordinate love of life by working in such mortifying considerations upon your own hearts, and if once you gain but this point, you will quickly find all your pains and prayers richly answered in the ease 
and rest of your hearts in the most scaring and frightful times. Rule six, I, the encouraging examples of those that have trod the path of sufferings before you and strive to imitate such worthy patterns. Behold, the cloud of witnesses encompassing you round about, a cloud like that over the Israelites to direct you, yea, a cloud for a multitude of excellent persons to animate and encourage you, Hebrews 12.1. Oh, take them for an example in suffering, affliction, and patience, James 5.10. Examples of excellent persons that have broken the ice and beaten the path before us are of excellent use to suppress our fears and rouse our courage in our own encounters. The first sufferers had the hardest task. They that first entered the lists for Christ wanted those helps to suppress fear which they have left unto us. Strange and untried torments are most terrible, for magnitudinum rerum consuetudo subdicit, trial and acquaintance abates the formidable greatness of evils. They knew not the strength of that enemy they were to engage, but we fight with an enemy that hath been often beaten and triumphed over by our brethren that went before us. Certainly we that live in the last times have the best helps that ever any had to subdue their fears. We have heard of the courage and constancy of our brethren in as sharp trials of their courage as ever we can be called to. We have read with what Christian gallantry they have triumphed over all sorts of sufferings and torments, how they have been strengthened with all might in the inner man, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Colossians 111. This concludes part 21 of John Flavel's A Practical Treatise of Fear.